Before we start the show, I want to talk about a new program from Yale. Look, the last year has been tough. We're all craving human interaction. We're craving more intellectual endeavors. And Yale has put together a program for clean energy professionals that helps people like you grow their network and find inspiration in this moment. It's called the Yale Program in Financing and Deploying Clean Energy, and it's a program to train working professionals across energy policy, finance, and technology in order to help them see how to accelerate the deployment of clean energy faster worldwide. To connect with Yale expertise, grow your professional network, and deepen your impact Make sure you apply before March 14th, 2021. And we've got a link right there in the show notes. Green Tech Media Podcast. Undeniably, the last decade has been about solar. I strongly believe that this, this decade that we're in, this upcoming 10 years, is going to be about the electrification of everything else. How do we finally cut that natural gas pipeline that comes into your home? so that we can move away from gas cooktops, from gas water heaters, and gas HVAC systems to all electric everything. The residential distributed energy resource market is exploding with new products. Batteries, electric vehicle chargers, smart panels, and so on. Has solar been dethroned as the anchor product in this market? I'm Shale Khan, and this is The Interchange. So about six months ago, I got an email that was titled, and I quote, solar is no longer the right anchor product. The email was from my friend Arch Rao, who is the CEO of SPAN, a startup that is making a new kind of smart electrical panel. SPAN just uh, was in the news for raising a $20 million round of venture capital and also announcing an integration with Alexa. The email went on, and I quote again, to break the pattern on high customer acquisition cost, deliver the best customer experience, and actually build something that is not just a financing and installation company reliant on subsidies or eventual market consolidation, we need to flip the model, end quote. Cue the fire emojis. Uh, Arch obviously knew what he was doing. If you know me at all, you know that this kind of stuff is my catnip. So needless to say, I bit. And Arch and I have had this ongoing, somewhat sporadic conversation since about how distributed energy resources will and should proliferate with consumers. Arch has good credibility on this topic, and as you'll soon hear, strong opinions as well. Prior to SPAN, he helped lead the product team at Tesla when they were building and launching the Powerwall, as well as while they were making the acquisition of SolarCity and getting into the residential solar business. So today, we bring that conversation onto the air. The question at hand, how should we sell and manage distributed energy resources for residential customers? Who buys them and what are they actually going to do with them? To give you what will undoubtedly be the definitive answer to these questions, here's my conversation with Arch Rao. So Arch, do you remember the email that you sent me that sparked this conversation we've been having on and off for the past six months or so? I think so. Uh, I sent you an email about our recent fundraise and Alexa integration. No, no, this predates that. This is this is longer ago. This is actually you sent me an email at least six months ago in response to uh. some other podcast. Uh, the title of your I'm just going to read this back to you to see sure. in the light of day how it feels. The title of your email was "Solar is no longer the right anchor product." 
Do you remember sending that? I do remember that. Is that? And a, I still believe that. Um, let's get to that. But first, I, you know, I think the point of this conversation is to talk about the future of residential DERs, distributed energy resources. Like, it's a market that has gone through, I would say, multiple uh, full iterations of the hype cycle, and but meanwhile has kind of chugged along, continued to grow. Um, but has metastasized into a bunch of other little sub-markets. So let's see if we can encapsulate all of it and where you see the biggest opportunities, both for SPAN and just in general, uh, in the market. So maybe let's start with this. How would you characterize the state of the distributed energy resource market today? Yeah, I'd say it's mature in some segments and still has a lot of room for growth in others. And this probably ties back to the email that I sent you six months ago, that solar is no longer the right anchor product. The important caveat there is I'm by no means knocking solar. Solar has a tremendous role to play uh, when it comes to helping us clean up the grid um, in helping us abate climate change. But I think there are a large number of other products that we should be looking at that apply to a a larger segment of um, homeowners and the population in general. Well, the implication, I mean, you should dig into this, right? The implication of that statement, solar is no longer the right anchor product, is that it it was before, right? And I think it is true that prior to residential solar, we didn't really talk about distributed energy resources. We did have some of them, right? Like, you know, I don't know, controllable LED lights predated the big boom in solar by a little bit. And, you know, controllable thermostats were like rolling right around the same time solar was growing. Um, But I do think it's also true that like residential solar kind of ushered in this, this universe of distributed energy resources. I wonder why you think that is because solar is a big purchase, obviously, right? Tens of thousands of dollars. Yep. And unfortunately, it's also burdened with a lot of complexity when it comes to how you get it installed, because you have to do a meaningful amount of construction work, if you will, to get it up on your roof. Um, It unfortunately doesn't apply to a large number of homes that aren't single family homes with roofs that can support a solar system. And I suppose the newest point of view that I have is having seen solar installations around the world, the home electrical panel, especially in the U.S., doesn't quite support the addition of large electrical appliances uh, and devices like solar and batteries and EV charging. Uh, Maybe taking a step back, undeniably, the last decade has been about solar. Uh, The adoption of solar has been uh, been growing steadily. The cost of solar modules have come down. The cost of uh, power electronics have come down. Uh, And the last half a decade, I think we can agree, has been about the electrification of transportation. So we've seen a surge in the adoption of uh, electric vehicles, both with the reduction in cost, but also uh, driven by um, market forces, right? Regulatory market forces that have enabled electrification of transportation. I strongly believe that this this decade they put in, this upcoming 10 years, is going to be about the electrification of everything else. Is how do we how do we finally cut that natural gas pipeline that comes into your home, so that we can move away from um, gas cooktops, from gas water heaters, uh, and and gas HVAC systems to all electric everything. We'll come back to the electrification of everything else, because uh, I think that's interesting to talk about. But I do want to spend a minute um, talking more through the history, but through your lens, because you were, you're a Tesla. Um, if I recall right, you're a Tesla when Tesla got into the solar business by buying Solar City. You're also there 
you know, helping lead product for the Powerwall as Tesla was launching the sort of residential battery product. So what what are the what did you notice it from the market as Tesla was getting into the residential DR business that then led you to this set of beliefs you have now? Yeah, as you'll recall, the um, sort of the evolution at Tesla's uh, at Tesla for the energy business was taking the vast amount of R&D that Tesla had done on batteries and trying to not just make batteries for cars, but now to make grid-tied batteries. Um, and that sort of predated Tesla's acquisition of SolarCity and then bringing on board uh, solar product offerings. Um, so I was there when the Tesla Energy Group, if you will, was was a small R&D team. Um, and I was fortunate to see the growth of um, the, the development and the growth of products like the Powerwall, the Powerpack, and subsequently now products like the Megapack. Along the way, the the natural extension of that energy business was also bringing solar uh, to, to the customers. And uh, that was great in the U.S. market through the acquisition of SolarCity. But what, was, uh, what became very apparent when you looked at the global landscape is that the cost of acquiring customers for solar still remains quite high. The complexity of installing solar systems uh, still remains quite high. And the attach of storage, while the percentage of attach has gone up, the ability for the traditional solar companies to sell and to finance storage still remains somewhat complex. My comment earlier about solar no longer being the right anchor product is, is somewhat um, pointing to some of these challenges we've seen in the solar industry, which I think have been embedded into the solar industry over the last decade. And we see an opportunity for us to move towards products that are more applicable, like storage for resiliency, um, electric vehicles, and electric appliances in a home that are easier to deploy that can be deployed by um, a large number of the existing workforce, like electricians, HVAC contractors, uh, et cetera, and don't require a complex value chain to deliver a solar product as the first product that enters your home. So given all those things, given that it's obviously easier, it's like less complex and more straightforward to get an electric induction stove or whatever than it is to get solar on your roof. Why did solar scale first? Like, why was solar the right anchor product for, you know, the last decade? I think a lot of the technologies surrounding electrification and, of course, home batteries and EVs weren't quite mature. Like solar, as you as you recall, have has been worked on since the 80s. In the 2000s, it became much more affordable for it to be a distributed uh, solution as opposed to being a centralized solution from a cost-effectiveness standpoint. And again, there were uh, market forces like, you know, the, the incentives, like incentives, um, investment tax credits that were, that were available for solar that made it much more affordable and that drove the, the adoption of solar. As we look ahead, though, I think solar will continue to grow, but I think these other product sets and other offerings will have a much higher growth rate relative to solar. So, okay, so let's characterize where we're at today. So we've got now, what, 2 million residential solar rooftops in the US, roughly speaking, I think more than that now. So we've hit a a decent share of the population, but obviously there's still, I mean, we're nowhere near penetrating the entire, even just, you know, readily accessible single family, south or west facing unobstructed rooftop markets. There's still growth to be had there, um, but it has scaled. Um, As you said, the attach rate for batteries has gone up a lot and in certain geographies, particularly. So you and I are both in, in California in the Bay Area. And, you know, here the attachment rate for sol- for storage, which means basically the percentage of new solar customers that are also putting in a battery is what, like 
upwards of a third at this point. I think in the Bay Area it might even be higher because of proactive power shut off. So that's coming up, but you know, off of a very small base. Um, so still, still a relatively small market for residential batteries. And then there's, you know, EVs where the growth is sort of in the U.S. anyway. The growth is always right around the corner. We haven't quite hit that inflection point yet, but it appears that it's coming. And then there's all this other electrical stuff in the home, the electrification of heat and cooking and all that kind of stuff. Um, I know that a big part of your thesis at SPAN is that you can bring all of those components together via the home electrical panel. But I wonder, do you think that those things will be sold together at any point? Or is it always going to be a bunch of disparate purchases that then need some unifying piece of technology to tie them all together? Yeah, I think increasingly um, very successful solar installation and solar financing companies are looking to move to a model where they want to deliver energy as a service and want to offer products that go beyond just solar. Uh, it's it's a it's a natural extension of where they are today to try to offer EV charging products. It's a natural extension of where they are today to obviously offer storage, which, as you mentioned, is has um, we're seeing in California fairly high attach rates. The reason I believe the electrical panel will be sort of central to the adoption of all of these types of technologies is because seventy percent of homes in the U.S. have electrical panels that are either outdated and therefore out of code or under capacity, right? They are on the 100 to 125 amps range. And as you think about the continued adoption of these different types of technologies, they will inevitably need to be upgraded or replaced in order for them to support, in order for homes to be able to support these technologies. And I think the companies that are already offering solar are really well poised to be able to bundle these products together and offer it to customers, both because they're either already in 2 million homes and they can go back to these customers and offer them add-on products, or there are a large number of homes that they are yet to provide solutions to that may not be well-suited for solar, but can be well-suited for other products like batteries and EV charging. Have we seen that happening? This is one of these things that's always, it seems so obvious. And yet I feel like I haven't actually seen anybody do it at scale. Like, have any solar installers gone back to their existing customer? You have a 20-year relationship with those customers if you're signing a PPA or a lease or you know doing the maintenance on the solar. So you obviously should be able to go back and sell them on an EV uh, charger or whatever. Um, I, but I, like, I don't see it happening. Is, is it happening? It is beginning to happen. And I think uh, perhaps we are closer to the customer um, than investors are. And what we're seeing is a lot of these companies are seeing that over the course of the next three to five years, they're going to have to differentiate what they offer to customers. The early indications of that are companies offering not just storage for resiliency, but storage with some economic benefit like virtual power plants, right? So that's an expansion of not just offering solar as a hardware solution uh, with PPAs or loans and leases, or just storage as 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 a cost adder, if you will, where in most markets in the US especially, there's no payback for storage. But they're trying to find ways to wrap that with offerings like virtual power plants. And I think we'll continue to see that evolve into um, products that are very naturally closely tied to solar and storage, because when you go to install these products, you are, um, you're, you're typically doing a fair amount of electrical work and on-site work, and there's an easy opportunity to offer the customer a $500 EV charger, if you will. Um, and I think that that is beginning to happen as we speak now. It'll be goaded by uh, customer demand but also I think will be made uh, made easier by 
uh, energy services that will be offered by incumbent solar companies, but increasingly utility companies as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the dream is this energy as a service model where somebody can offer me all of the things that I need for my home energy needs or to green my home or whatever. The reality, I think for a lot of customers, certainly this is true for me, I'll just speak for myself, is that I'm just on a different buying cycle for different things. Like I want solar when I need to replace my roof. I want an EV charger when I need to replace my car. Uh, I want an induction stove when I when it's time for me to like get rid of my old stove. So I'm just on this journey that is not, that's more sequential than it is um, simultaneous, but I, I do ultimately want all those things. And then I want all those things to be talking to each other, or at least talking to some third thing, which I know is, is your bread and butter, because ultimately I want all of the components of my energy usage, my energy generation, my energy storage in my home to be optimized such that I'm saving as much money as possible. Or perhaps if I were a slightly better person, it would be so that I'm minimizing my impact on greenhouse gas emissions. But nonetheless, like they need to be interoperable, but I don't think they need to be purchased simultaneously. You're absolutely right. And some homes have solar, fewer homes, fewer homes have storage. I think even fewer homes have electric vehicle charging today, but practically every home has an electrical panel. By building a 21st century version of an electrical panel, what we are enabling is a longitudinal relationship with the homeowner, that over the course of the next 20 or 30 years that our panel is embedded in your home, we are able to present data and we're able to present a, a direct, uh, or we're able to present both the, the data as well as the ease of installation as you choose to decide solar a year from now, as you choose to decide EV charging a couple of years from now, as you choose to electrify your appliances five years down the road, as opposed to each of these instances being a, a fairly um, independent event that either costs a lot of money and therefore you choose not to do it, or it, it requires a fair amount of uh, convincing in the absence of data, if you will. This is the moment of the show where we call out our supporters and we are brought to you by Yale. Yale has a new program. It's called the Program in Financing and Deploying Clean Energy. It is highly relevant to the people who listen to this show. It is a cross-sectoral program that can help you build your network and experience and get a sense for what it will take to push your job further and deploy clean energy faster. Because look, we need to invest a trillion dollars per year to deploying clean energy to stay below a two degree Celsius temperature increase. It's a lot of challenges, but it's opportunities for people like you to grow your companies and grow your role and to meet new people while doing that. And that's what this Yale program does. Yale is drawing on its deep experience to offer a unique program, marrying academic rigor with practical skills. And if you want a part of this program, you need to apply before March 14th, 2021. You can do it right from your laptop and grow your professional network and deepen your impact. Go to the show notes and sign up for Yale's program on financing and deploying clean energy. I know that another uh, analog to Tesla that you've made before is, you know, one of the, the big innovations of Tesla in the vehicle market is over-the-air updates and basically like using the fact that it is a, it's a bunch of software driving around um, in the form of a car to continually upgrade and improve the technology for customers. And that's been a real revelation that's sort of like given Tesla a big advantage that now other auto OEMs are starting to do as well. Do you, how do you view that in the context of home energy? Like what are the, what are the things that we will be able to layer on in the future 
to any one of these devices, be it a span electrical panel or theoretically, uh, you know, a solar inverter or something else that we can't today? Like, what does the future look like? Yeah. Expanding on the same premise by being at the electrical center of the home in the electrical panel, you're, we are able to see a number of things happening in your home today and over time. By placing a large amount of compute capability in there, along with communication capabilities, right? Be it um, our LTE modem that's embedded in the panel, the Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and Zigbee, we are then able to communicate with different devices in your home over time. While today, a smart electrical panel like SPAN can either help reduce the operational cost of installing a system or provide the customer more functionality when they get um, when they have to go off-grid. Uh, in that, we can provide a whole home configurable backup, if you will. Really, what we want to do is present a, uh, a, a true virtual interface or a data interface to everything that's happening in your home. We're able to measure individual circuits, which means we're naturally able to measure all the major appliances in your home at very high resolution. That kind of visibility is unprecedented, both for the customer and for the grid operator or the energy service provider, if you will. With that, of course, we're able to tell you what's consuming the most amount of power in your home or uh, what might be consuming more power today than previously, but it also allows us the ability to mine that data to tell you what might be acting anomalously and there is a need for you to upgrade that, right? So imagine a scenario where we can tell you your refrigerator compressor is about to fail and therefore there's an opportunity for you to upgrade to a more energy efficient refrigerator. Same goes for your HVAC system, same goes for your water heater, et cetera. We wanna take that one step further. Not only can we monitor and generate insights, we wanna be able to control the devices as well. Uh, we recently announced um, you know, Alexa integration that allows us to provide a convenient way for customers to engage with the energy in their home. But I think more importantly, where we want to be able to go is when we see the opportunity for us to either turn off a device, like say a water heater that's about to burst, or turn down the consumption of a device, like tapering down the rate of charge of your EV, that kind of functionality is already embedded in our panel, and it's merely a software upgrade for us to be able to do that. Yeah, you mentioned the Alexa integration that you guys just announced. Um, I did want to talk about that with you. It's one of these things where like, so clearly uh, Alexa and Siri and Google Home and all that are proliferating at like an absolutely ridiculous and unprecedented rate and are becoming super dominant kind of ways that we interact with our homes in general across a wide variety of use cases. But one of the things that I've, I don't know, I've been trying to figure out is um, where does that settle in the context of energy? Like what's the use case beyond novelty? What's the use case for the Alexa integration that you think is going to stick for you? Like what, what am I going to do in my home? via Alexa that, that relates directly to my energy consumption? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the vast majority of human-machine interface devices out there, right, like the Alexa, the Google Home, Siri, whatever that might be, um, is limited to the devices that they can already talk to, right, be it a thermostat or a lighting control system. Um, what they are lacking, from my point of view, is a source of truth measurement and controls device. And that's what our, our panel aims to provide is being the nerve center of the home where literally every everything that's connected to the copper wiring is connected to our panel. And by doing that, we're able to see things that are smart or not so smart, right? Your traditional appliances that quote unquote don't have a remote control functionality through a smart app can still be viewed through the SPAN panel. And we're sharing that information through Alexa to start informing or educating the customers about 
how they're using energy or where there might be opportunities for improvement. So, so is it information like how much energy is my dryer, my washer dryer using right now? Like, is that, is that going to be a repeated use case that the customers are going to have? It's, it's a crawl walk run in my mind. I think it takes a tremendous amount of, um, insights and, uh, to build credibility with the homeowner to get to an eventual point where we can actually make decisions on behalf of the customer. That's the end goal, right? So maybe to walk you through that today, we're able to tell you, Hey, Shale, did you know that your washer dryer consumed 13% of your energy last month, right? And maybe that's interesting to you. Maybe that's not so interesting to you, but the next step is being able to identify, um, Hey, Shale, we think that your HVAC system is performing poorer, much poorer than it used to perform last year, and certainly poorer than any other HVAC systems in your geography. And there's an opportunity for us to either send out a repair personnel or to replace it for you. Which would you like to do? So we are, we are engaging the customer in a very active way. But to get from that first point of generating insight to then actually taking an action on your behalf where you don't think it's just us upselling you on, on stuff, we need to build that we need to close that credibility gap. And that's what presenting this information through an interface that's simple and intuitive becomes very relevant in, right? Not very many customers, including myself, as energy uh, savvy as I might be or as as much as I'd like to nerd out on energy information, I don't find myself going back to any of these apps today to look at time series graphs of my solar production or my battery state, state of charge. It's just not interesting. So we have to... We have to simplify it and we have to make it a lot more accessible. And the first step towards that is integration with products like Alexa. Yeah, you know, I I go back and forth on this. Uh, the, the degree to which providing that sort of first step in your the journey that you just described, providing people better information, insight and access to the to knowledge about their own energy consumption or, or how their devices are working in their home. I go back and forth on how much that matters to, you know, the general population. Right. There, there's these other cases in other industries where it turns out people actually really, really do want to know more about their health. For example, you see this in like all the, the health tech and wearables space, perhaps financial information. This is, I think, a big part of the rationale behind like the Apple credit card um, energy. Notoriously, not one of those categories historically. Yeah, you, you make a good point, Shale. I think if you look at parallels in, in the health sector or the finance sector, I think there's been uh, there have been stories of technology enabling customers to be more aware and perhaps uh, change their behavior based on that information. Um, energy is is different in that the quantum of dollars you can save is relatively very very small, right? Even if I were being very aware of how I was consuming energy and therefore avoided everyday events that otherwise uh, end up being inefficient, the net result of that is I've perhaps offset $5 over the course of a month. And I think that's the problem. It's The problem is about the economic incentives are not strong enough. But that's part of why I think the goal for us is to not focus on the economics as much as it is to focus on the information about understanding your built environment, understanding what's happening in your home. And the crawl to walk transition is going to happen very quickly in that we want to go from educating you about what's happening in your home or informing you about what's happening in your home to start controlling it for you, right? One of the, one of the things that I've, I've said uh, a few times over the last couple of years is measurement without controls is not valuable and controls without embedded intelligence 
is not scalable and that we need to get the human out of the loop. But to get to that place where we can truly start controlling when your EV uh, charge rate is being modified or when your thermostat set point is being modified or when your water heater set point is being modified requires building this like like what I said, the credibility gap to be to be shortened, right? That's I think actually one of the biggest innovations or one of the big lessons that I've taken from from smart thermostats and the way that companies like Nest and Ecobee figure this out is that, you know, when you first get your smart thermostat, you have control over it right? You set it where you want to set it. And then it starts to learn and it starts to control itself a little bit, but you always feel like you can override it really easily. And so you never lose that measure of feeling of control. And at some point, hopefully as time goes on, you just get more and more comfortable with it and you let it take over. And I've not actually really seen anybody proposing to do the same thing with EV charging, for example, but that seems like the smart way to do it, right? Right now it's kind of binary. It's either like you program it to charge whenever you want, or you just literally plug it in and unplug it, or uh, we'll control it entirely on your behalf. And, you know, you, you can override it, but you're not like actively controlling even at the beginning. And there's got to be some middle ground. Cause I agree with you that like building that trust is a, is an important part of that process. That's right. Customers don't want to be inconvenienced, especially if the uh, the outcome is a very small amount of financial benefit from doing that. So I think it's it's a it, it's finding the right motivation there. And I think the from an architectural standpoint, this is maybe stepping back, you know, to, to a ten thousand foot view of the problem. Is today's solution of only controlling thermostats or potentially having binary control of EV chargers is very is very narrow. Uh, from my point of view, you need a single device and a single gateway that can control every load in your home today and over time. And that's what the panel affords. That's the idea here, right? But to get to the point where we are actually controlling it in a way that it doesn't inconvenience you, while at the same time provides value to you, is the important piece. And that's going to be driven by data, by being able to monitor your whole home, being able to monitor the solar system, uh, monitor and control the battery system, and have the ability to control, monitor and control a multitude of, of devices in your home. Right, your air conditioning system, your water heater, your EV charger, etc. That becomes incredibly easy with the type of device that we're building and the type of edge compute that it has, where we can layer on over-the-air software updates to keep improving what the customer experiences with a single product. Do you care about whether you own the customer relationship? I mean, this is the other area where there's been the kind of battle, I guess, amongst various providers of various DERs. And then also, obviously, you know, if it's via Alexa or something like that, then Amazon is trying to control the customer relationship for kind of everything. You're sort of sitting in the background via the electrical panel, maybe controlling and providing the visibility into everything. Do you care if people are like, I need to go to my span to figure this out? Or are you happy to be embedded in something else? Yeah, from my point of view, I think it's uh, it's, it's a bit misguided to think about it as owning the customer experience, because um, it, it is going to evolve and change over time. I, I think it's much more important for us to be um, the device that sits in the background and enables the customer to have choice to pick whatever interface they want to have, be it voice interface through Alexa, be it um, a, a an app provided by your energy service provider or your utility or your demand response provider. It doesn't matter really. But ultimately, the data layer and the controls layer that Span provides enables those functions to, to to be realized, if you will. In fact, we, we believe in that so strongly that our our software stack or software architecture on the in, on the compute device in the panel is designed to support third-party apps. 
We intend to release a number of span-developed first-party apps that may range from energy monitoring to some degree of load controls uh, to some degree of aggregated information being offered to our enterprise partners. But if you want to start a demand response company or a VPP company and want to drop you know, a shell app into the span device because your universe of customers uh, want to be able to use that, that's absolutely fine with us. And in fact, we encourage that. Um, I will be designing a shale app to go on the span panel, just so you know. Um, it's going to be great. That's great. I am curious. You you just alluded to something that we should spend a minute on. Um, aggregate information delivered to your enterprise partners. What does that mean? And obviously, it has the smack of selling data to it. Yeah, and this is this is going to be a uh, uh, an ongoing effort for us in terms of understanding what is the what is the real value to the end consumer and what is the and, and in, in parallel what is the impact we can have in terms of abating climate change with the, with the rich data layer and the controls layer that we have in our, in our system uh, maybe to simplify that statement i think we're building a product that once installed provides an unprecedented amount of visibility in real time and with high resolution into a home uh, that allows us to offer customers everything ranging from very simple everyday insights to, like like we talked about earlier, uh, the ability for us to uh, prompt a, a service upgrade, right? Or prompt a device upgrade, if you will. And I think how we use that data is going to be uh, important in terms of how we engage the customer, which is which is what I'm kind of trying to get at. I think the, the first set of use cases that most customers will likely be comfortable with is us sharing the data back with them so that they can see what's happening in their home. In, in, a, in a subset of uh, geographies, I think there'll be value in allowing um, the virtual power plant partner to be able to control just the storage device, but not touch any of the customer's appliances, right? Um, in, in the future iteration of the product, maybe the customers are comfortable with uh, with the energy company or the demand response provider also controlling their HVAC system and their EV charger. So finding that that uh, level of comfort for the customer and actually, again, empowering them to decide what amount of data and controls do they want to give to a service provider relative to what value they get for it is is, is the balance that we'll have to strike. Yeah, I mean, I can see an enor- enormous amount of value there and also relatively thin ice that you need to walk on, wherein like... You theoretically, you know, as you said, sort of predictive maintenance being one potential use case of getting um, device level data like that. There's obviously value that you could theoretically sell to like the local appliance manufacturer and saying like this guy's going to need a new fridge in uh, in the next six months. Um, But then you run into like the issues that every one of the big tech companies has faced as they've started to sell consumer data. Now, it hasn't stopped them, to be clear, and they've built gigantic businesses off of doing exactly that. But you know, they're uh, treacherous waters for sure. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we're in the early stages of deploying the, the physical device that then enables us to collect the data. Uh, we're very conscious and mindful of how we treat the data. Um, and, and obviously data privacy is important to us and the customers have the choice to decide uh, whether they want to even share the data with SPAN or just use SPAN's functionality and the SPAN app locally, right? And we... Right out of the gate, I think we're being mindful of of how the customer's data gets um, gets utilized and how much how much control the customer has with that data. 
Over time, however, I think to your point, there are a lot of um, tech companies out there that have demonstrably shown that consumers don't mind sharing data as long as it makes their life better. But it's finding that uh, finding that value and finding the right ways to deliver that value that we'll be focused on over the years as we develop additional software capabilities. Yeah, I mean, one example that's maybe like a little bit less, um, maybe less highly charged than what I was describing is that there's also uh, there's also a model that's emerged in the sort of home maintenance space of like, uh, you know, the kind of ongoing whole home maintenance service, which I've actually thought about for my house. Like, I'd I'd love to just have one service that knows exactly how often all of my devices need to be replaced or need maintenance or, and you know, in my ideal world, like this would go all the way to like gutter cleaning and a variety of other things that are less technical, but that's been an emerging space. Now, obviously it would be valuable if my home maintenance, my home uh, uh, service provider also had information directly on all the devices in my home so that they would know when they would break. So there, there, there are versions of this that I think are, uh, that are more innocuous, but it's going to be an emerging, and this is an issue for, for, you know, Amazon, uh, Alexa connected devices in general, right? People are worried about this with thermostats and stuff already. Um, and they get around it, but I just think, you know, I'm not sure everybody's reckoned with the idea that the more, um, smart internet connected and controllable devices we place in the home, the more those devices are going to generate a bunch of data that will have value to some third party and we'll have to figure that out. Yeah, and, and a good example of that is, you know, we are we, we are now um, partnered with Munich Re Ventures, which is one of the largest reinsurance companies in the world. And um, needless to say, we contemplate being able to uh, make infrastructure improvements to your home that adds more um, security and, and risk avoidance in your home with, with the data we generate, right? But I think at a higher level, the way to approach this, at least the way we are approaching this, is thinking about two two categories or two primary segments, right? There's the energy as a segment, and then there's the home as a segment. Under the category of energy as a segment, our, our North Star, if you will, is how do we make it ridiculously simple to adopt solar and storage and EV charging? And that's what the first... Uh, the first set of hardware products and software applications we're developing are centered around, which is how do we make it um, how do we make it such that designing and installing distributed energy resources is simple and homogeneous as opposed to requiring a lot of customization and therefore a lot of cost. If if we are if you're successful in doing that, I think we will have um, not only built a valuable business but also have meaningfully contributed to. The, the faster adoption of distributed energy resources by making it more appliance-like in your home as opposed to being a, um, a, a aspirational get for your home, if you will. You mentioned at the beginning when we were talking about uh, solar no longer being the right anchor product, you know, the one of the big challenges with solar, which is it, uh, or rooftop solar, that is, which is that it only applies to a actually a relatively small subset of the population that happens to be a homeowner, single family home, et cetera. Um, and that, that also applies to most of this other stuff as well. You know, if you're a renter, you're in a multifamily building, it's much harder to get access, not just to solar of your own on your rooftop. Um, and so maybe you fall back on, on some, uh, synthetic product like community solar. Um, but also true of batteries, you know, if you want resiliency, you don't necessarily make that decision yourself. And, EVs, right? You want to buy an electric vehicle, do you have a place to charge it? So 
you know, we've been focusing most of our time and attention on this kind of like single family home construct. How do you think this plays out for everybody else? Yeah, the the architecture of our product, the concept of embedding sensing, actuation, and logic, if you will, into the into the home electrical panel, naturally scales up and scales down. Right? We can we can go to um, from from this first product, which is a two hundred amp device that's well suited for let's call it 90 percent of the single family home fleet here in the U.S. We plan to build smaller versions of the product that can go into uh, apartment buildings or into multifamily dwellings. Um, or into into some of the larger applications as well um, that that go beyond homes, but that's not for a while to come. The drivers for for adopting a panel and the drivers for adopting um, solar or batteries, electric vehicle charging, I think will happen more and more uh, from from homeowners primarily, and I think from energy service providers that see embedded value in being able to give these to uh, even customers that aren't homeowners. Resiliency is something that is necessary, whether you're a homeowner or not. Even if you're renting an apartment, being able to rent an apartment or rent a home that has, let's say, a home battery that can give you outage protection becomes relevant. Uh, Being able to live in an apartment building that is fully electric and therefore has a low carbon footprint will become a relevant uh, driver in, I think, adoption of these technologies. All right. Uh, Tell me what the shale app (laughs) <laughs> and the span ecosystem should do. I'm going to drive to your business model now. That's right. <laughs> One of the things I've encountered over the last several years of being a homeowner is um, not having visibility into what's happening in my home every day. Um, and as keenly aware as I am of the different products that I have, the solar that I have on my roof, the battery that I have in my garage, or the EV uh, I have in my garage, um, I don't have a way to tell how they're performing over time today. And I think that's that's the first part of it. But I think more importantly, I'm I'm hoping to get to a place in the future where, um, like we talked about, a, a connected panel that's that's able to see everything in my home makes my life easier. I'll, I'll give you an example. When I wake up in the morning, when my Google app tells me, Arch, your first meeting is in San Francisco, it's going to take you 43 minutes with traffic to get there. I find that incredibly useful. That's the level of usability that I'd like to have with, with an app embedded in the span device. Something that tells me you potentially have the ability to avoid a water heater from failing. You potentially have the ability to uh, recharge your, your vehicle during a certain window of time and what, go one step further and say, I've actually taken care of it for you. I turned down your EV charger in order to let your electric dryer operate between 9 p.m. and 10 p.m. so as to not let you uh, get uh, impacted with high energy costs, if you will. But there's been no impact to me in that when I wake up in the morning, I still have a sufficiently charged EV and I have my clothes that are dry, right? I was thinking about something a little more simple along the lines of like, hey, I noticed uh, that you your dryer just finished. Are you folding laundry? Want to listen to the interchange? <laughs> That's my the sort of app that I had in my mind, but yours works too. Um, <laughs> I guess we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, thank, thank you so much for being here, Arch. Yeah, it's a pleasure, Shale. Thanks. Arch Rao is the CEO and founder of Span.io. The website is as I just described it. Um, go check it out. And, and the, the product is also, in addition to being as functional as Arch has just described it, it looks really cool. Uh, you, he's obviously taken a lesson from the from the Tesla playbook. Um, you can find more information about what we talked about today in the show notes. The Interchange is produced by PostScript Audio in partnership with Green Tech Media. Our senior producer is Daniel Waldorf. 
Stephen Lacey is our executive producer and our podfather. If you want more reporting on the energy transition while you're waiting for the next episode, go over to greentechmedia.com and read what the team of journalists and analysts are covering. And don't forget, tell us what you thought of the conversation today. Tweet at us at Show, or send us an email at postscriptaudio at gmail.com and send us topics. What do you want us to talk about next? We, we love when we get suggestions from our audience. And do us a favor, if you like the show, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating and review. Share it with a friend on social media. It helps other people learn about the show. And that's our show. I'm Shale Khan, and this is The Interchange from Green Tech Media. The hardest thing for me is I'm not allowed to use my fidget spinner while I record, which is, I got to tell you, this is the 10% of my day that I'm not using this fidget spinner. I just went you, through you an entire fidget so spinner. You could sound so much more intelligent, but unfortunately- <laughs> I, It's true. Limited. You should hear me with a fidget spinner in my hand. I'm like Einstein. <laughs>